Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. In the words of John Maxwell, many organizations equip their people, few develop them. Development is where long-lasting and continual growth occur. Equipping is always short-lived and dies away if not combined with the development piece. Development takes more effort, time, and resource. Equipping is quick, easy, and cheap. Equipping is putting people in a classroom, presenting them with ideas, and then sending them on their way, hoping it all sinks in and they start doing everything you taught them. But the real world just doesn't work that way. People are usually only paying attention to you 15% of the time. They are zoning out in the classroom, thinking about other things, all the other stuff they are responsible for. When you put people through a class, they don't even hear all the information. They only absorb small little chunks of it, and then they forget it fast. The less they use it, the quicker they forget it. A month later, they will barely remember anything you even covered in that class. Development starts with equipping people. But then you move from teaching people concepts to showing them how the concepts are actually used in the real world. Then you give them the space to try the concepts for themselves, standing by as a coach and giving them room to fail. After they master the concepts, you honor them with the responsibility to teach and coach other people. Development is the long road of transforming students into teachers. This is also why most organizations just don't do it. It's hard work. It is the most fruitful work you could ever do in your organization to create social proof, but it is hard. To be most productive with our development, we have to focus on where we will receive the biggest bang for our buck. And because of this, we have to focus our development efforts solely on the superfans. Superfans will become teachers quicker than anyone else. The more teachers we can develop, the more efficient we can be at transforming our culture. One person can't do it all. It takes a team. So we have to focus on being as efficient as possible with not only developing the change team, but also in how we transform our culture. Classes are good. It's good to put the messaging out there of where the organization is headed. It's good for everyone to hear about these concepts and these visions. But the development piece must be focused on superfans for a transformational effect. So there's four steps. Learn it, see it, do it, teach it. 
These are the four steps to the development piece, and each one is a critical component of the process. Each step has to be accomplished. You can't just skip one if you really want to change your culture. They are links in a chain that all work together. Without one, the whole system will fail or run out of steam. Step one is to learn it. We start by educating our people on the new concepts. This is accomplished by quality training from engaging and entertaining trainers who are not only knowledgeable on the subject, they also know how to keep people's attention, keep them engaged. They know how to deal with questions. They know how to handle class dynamics, and they know how to entertain to keep attention. Not everyone is a great public speaker. There's a lot of people that know concepts, but they are boring when they teach concepts. So when we're at the equipping stage, it has to be somebody who not only knows their stuff, but entertains with their stuff. Equipping is step one. We better bring the A game with the equipping because that's the introduction to the entire development effort. If we lose people on day one with a boring instructor, we are already failing. Now, here's another thing. Many organizations want training to be efficient. They want it to be as least disruptive as possible to the company. Often organizations view training as this one-and-done type of thing. It's normal to see an organization schedule training over the course of a week so they can check a box that it was accomplished. But that's not how brains absorb new information the best way. Remember, with all the strengths of the prefrontal cortex, one of its shortcomings, it is quickly overloaded. So we don't want to overload the prefrontal with concepts that will totally transform our people just so we can check a box that we got the training done. But I've had many experiences with clients where they demand the opposite. They would want to take three days to a week to cram as much as we would normally teach in two weeks into one course so they could check the box that it was done and then move on back to their daily operations. A year later, they would call and want a refresher course. And during the so-called refresher course, I'd present the same material again. And guess what? Most had forgotten all of it. Some would remember a small piece of it, and hardly anyone was actually using it. This process of cramming a bunch of training into a week is actually very inefficient in the long term, but it's commonly mistaken as efficient in the short term, and that's why most companies do it that way. It's also why the change they experience from this type of training is usually insignificant three years later. Personal growth, transforming culture, coaching techniques, human performance, leadership skills, those things need to be taught in small chunks. The prefrontal cortex needs time to absorb the concepts. Slow brain can't get overloaded with all this stuff.
It needs time to contemplate the concepts, see the value in them, and then apply them to their own life experience. Training should be a process, not a check-the-box goal achieved. Consideration should be given to the workload of the attendees. Do their responsibilities within the company end the moment they walk into the classroom? Probably not. Would it be better to spend a week in a training course where attendees are leaving the room to answer phone calls all the time or disengage because they're answering an email? Or would it be better to have smaller sessions where you have their full attention? Course length must also be considered. How engaged are people after lunch? There are many techniques a trainer can use to increase engagement after lunch, but it doesn't change the fact that the majority of attendees, especially in hard-working construction industries, will be fresh in the morning and a little more sloth-like in the afternoon. Whenever possible, limit your training to a morning session when we're covering deep, complex topics like leadership and human performance. Try to spread the training out over time versus cramming everything into a week-long course schedule. Be conscious of how the prefrontal cortex is quickly overloaded. Step two is to see it. It's one thing to hear about something in a classroom. It's one thing to do little exercises and examples in the classroom. It's totally next level to see it in the real world. No matter how creative your exercises are in the classroom setting, they are never quite the same as those same concepts actually at work in the real world. Combine this with the fact that most humans learn visually. They can't just hear about it. They need to see it in action to really get it, to process it. After we teach the concepts in the classroom, we have to go out in the field and do it for people to observe. If I take a group of 25 people out into the field and try to coach someone, that's not the real world either, is it? If I coach an employee while 25 other people are standing there staring at that employee, is that how real coaching actually works? Would the person being coached feel a little nervousness or anxiousness with 25 supervisors staring at them? We must not only develop our people, but also create environments conducive to development. Again, this is why we are only focusing on super fans because we have less of them. But we also have a better opportunity for development with smaller groups of people. It would be much more efficient for the teacher to walk around with one super fan, observing behavioral reinforcement, coaching techniques, than doing it with a group that included super fans and resistors and fence sitters. Efficiency does matter, though. We still have to get the work done. 
So as odd as this sounds, I could accomplish more of the see it component by spending one day with six people where each person spent an hour alone with me in the field than I could ever accomplish by spending all day with the same six people. If I spent all day with the same six people, I would be ignoring one while talking to the other. Actually, I'd probably be ignoring five while talking to the other. I'd get distracted by answering other people's questions, trying to return focus back to another employee, and constantly jumping back and forth between different personality types. By spending one hour with one person individually, it's actually much more efficient than spending six hours with a group of six people. The same six hours spent on seeing it could be much more efficient if broken down into one-on-one chunks versus spending the same amount of time frame with a group of people. So choose your superfans wisely for the development piece. More is not always better. Your long-term goals will be more achievable with a strong focus on six superfans versus a mediocre focus on 26 various personality types. So step three is to do it. I've been teaching coaching concepts for many years now. I have an exercise where students coach someone else in the audience. Almost every single time, they fail on their first try. This is normal. After your people learn something and then they see something, now they have to do that thing. At the same time, you have to be patient to the fact that rarely will anyone ever be successful on their first attempt. You have to coach them through the process. You have to stand at their side, keep your mouth shut long enough to let them fail a little, and gently redirect them as you move forward. Doing it is not a one and done either. They will need time to develop these new skills. You have to encourage them when they fail and praise them deeply when they experience a win. So to help with this process, give them small tasks with easier wins in the beginning and then work them up to the harder responsibilities that require mastery. The more they can experience these little wins, the more they will be inspired to continue that journey. So the minimum baseline is always a good concept to apply to this. When you give people small, achievable goals, they create new neural pathways in their brain every time they succeed or experience a win. The small wins lead up to significant change over time. The brain is constantly reinforcing these small changes because of the wins that they experience. They're reinforcing the neural pathways. The long-term effect is that they are developing and reinforcing new habits. The new technique becomes more automated the more habitual they become. But the brain has to see these habits as useful. So that's why it's so important that people experience little wins. 
On the other hand, if you give a person a tremendous amount of new responsibility and they experience a multitude of failures, then they're going to become discouraged. And so now the brain's going to process this as pain, as something to avoid. So it's better for a person to experience several easily accomplished goals than to push them to be a master overnight and experience tremendous failure in the process. We want to create wins that will become habits and perceived as useful in the brain. Then we got to get out of their way. So once your super fan is winning a little, Now it's time to let them develop their own unique style. Just like with coaching, the goal is not to create a bunch of replicants of you. It's to create a team of unique personalities that all have their own unique styles and unique strengths. Diversity is strength, especially cognitive diversity. People thinking in different ways is strength. Cognitive diversity is strength. The team is stronger than the individual. There will be people you will encounter that just don't relate to your unique style, but someone else with their own unique style on your team could have a significant breakthrough with those same people simply because their unique style was more influential or appropriate for those different personality types. The more different styles of communicating the overall vision, the better. Because of this, we want to make room for people to develop their own unique style. My way is not the only way and is not always the best way when dealing with people. Once the superfan is ready to go out on their own, we need to get out of their way but still be available should they want to have a discussion with us. We need to let them know we are not giving up on them. We are just recognizing that they have strengths that we don't have, and we want to make room for them, for their own unique strengths to grow. We don't want to micromanage them. We want them to develop their own style that will be different than ours, and we see that as a value in them. We see that as a strength in them. We see their own unique way of doing it as a strength and want to get out of the way of that. We can further encourage this concept by telling them we look forward to learning from them. We can't wait to see what new techniques they develop so we can improve our own skills as teachers from what we see on what they come up with on their own. By getting out of their way and observing their own unique coaching styles or their own unique behavioral communication styles, we can add more tools of influence to our own toolbox in the process. What is good for them is actually also good for us and the organizational culture as a whole. This brings us to the final phase of the development piece, to teach it. The phase where the student becomes the teacher. Step four is to teach it. If you really want someone to remember something, get them to teach it. 
When you listen to a lecture, you have the luxury to tune out a little bit. It's almost expected that you will forget some of the information. But when you have to teach something, the expectation set on you is a high standard. There's a tenfold increase in the internalized need to know your stuff when you have to teach it. If you really want someone to know something deeply, assign them the responsibility to teach it to other people. There's something magical that happens when the student becomes the teacher. The memory retention of the information is just part of that magic. They will also feel differently. They have moved from a follower to a leader with the subject matter. They are now a messenger of society. As Plato said, those who tell the story rule society. There's so much truth in that message. When you become a teacher, people listen to you, whether they want to or not. Some may not like your message, but your message is still being heard. Your level of influence is tremendous. You now have a platform and a group of listeners. There is a powerful force that grows in someone who moves from a doer to a teacher. Many will feel a tremendous need to do well with that job. They know everyone is watching them. They will have a greater motivation to learn more and master their communication techniques. They are now the ones up on the stage that everyone is looking at. It's actually difficult for people to not care about that type of responsibility when it's been placed on them. This is different than the experience you may have with a low-quality trainer that was given a responsibility they didn't want in the first place. That's not what I'm talking about here. There are teachers in this world that don't feel the feelings I'm talking about, but those are not the super fans either. In this example that I'm making, we started with a super fan. We trained them on these concepts. We showed them how to do it in the real world. We let them figure out their own unique style. And as their reward, we have now honored them with the title of teacher. This is different than placing someone in the role of teacher who was never put through the development piece in the first place. This is someone who will respect the gift that they have been given. They will respect it because they experienced all the steps along the way that have led to this moment. They have become a leader in the organizational culture. As part of this process, we need to find out who the next students are. So ask the new teacher, the person you've developed, who are the people around you that you should be teaching? We want them to identify their own super fans. We want them to go beyond teaching and equipping. We want them to continue this cycle of development 
for their own superfans. And that is what takes cultural transformation through a never-ending process where it doesn't run out of steam. That's where we constantly transform the workforce, even though the workforce is always changing. This road is hard, and this road is long, but look where we are now. We started with wanting to make a major cultural change within our organization. A few leaders invested in their personal growth. As they grew, they influenced others. As they influenced others, they developed others. They developed the superfans that were not just superfans. They were the type of superfans that shared what they were learning with other people in the culture. The superfans created more fans when the leader wasn't even in the room with them. The superfans over time became teachers, additional messengers of the vision. The superfans developed their own superfans, and over time, resistors adapted or moved on. At this point, we have created social proof. We have created so much social proof that no one person could ever stop it. The culture has become intentional now. It is a force stronger than any one manager or even any single CEO. A new company president could come into this culture and the culture would be stronger than that one individual. This long-term effort is how you create social proof. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, head over to leaderthink.com.